Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week on Adaptivist Live, well, it's kind of a light week, right guys? So we're going to just sort of hang out, talk to you about a little bit of fun stuff that we found from around the Atlassian Ecosystem. Joining me today are the ever-present Brenda Burrell and the magnificent Matthew Stubblefield. Hello, Brenda and Matthew. Hello. Nice to see you, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Matthew, we are, we're, we're getting Matthew in on... Whenever we can on his schedule, he's busy raising that little, that cute little boy. So, guys, today, the first thing that we've got to look at, a few light changes in Atlassian Cloud. This is really lightweight stuff. I think we've hit that point of the year where everyone's getting ready to, to fatten up on the turkey and dressing, and we're, we're slowing down a little bit. Yep. We have made it to the home stretch of 2018. Everybody can take a, a deep breath and a Pat yourselves on the back for you know a, a year well done. Um, so just a few things, as Ryan mentioned on Atlassian Cloud, it is a pretty lightweight update. Um, you can now delete your own account if your accounts are not managed by the organizations. Um, or if so you're really burned on Twitter and someone tells you delete your account, you can delete your Atlassian Cloud account instead of your Twitter account. <laughs> that is an option. Um, just little odds and ends along those lines. Um, Jira platform, you can make a field required in your next gen projects. I know people are really excited about next generation projects. Um, so I, I expect we'll hear quite a lot about those um, in upcoming podcasts as well. And um, yeah, just lots of just nice little touch. You can see when the roadmap was updated. Whoa. When somebody makes a change to the roadmap, you can see. That change was made. You might you might remember we we roadmapped a lot about roadmaps last last podcast, and there's another update to them. So they're just moving along. But we at Adaptivist have some cool news surrounding cloud. Matthew, you want to tell us? Yeah. So I think I mentioned this on the last podcast that my team was working on creating a Jira cloud training, and uh, we went into this with you know high hopes and hearts full of joy and excitement. Uh, mostly because we thought, oh, we'll just copy an existing course, change the screenshots and demos, and boom, you've got Jira Cloud. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> turns out, turns out, cloud has diverged so much from server. Uh, we had to rewrite it from the ground up, notably because the audience is so different. That was really the sense we got working through the user interface that Atlassian's audience for cloud is very different from a server audience. So we have written a course, and uh, as we dug into it, particularly because of how quickly cloud changes, we realized this is not something we're going to be able to maintain the same way we do our server courses. There were literally four major changes in one week of us trying to write this course. Uh, it's just, it goes so fast. So we created something that we, we hope will stand the test of time for at least a few months. And it is now available for free on YouTube. Uh, just something we wanted to put out there to serve the community. We hope it's helpful for you all. If you are a Jira Cloud user, you're interested in Jira Cloud, you want to get more out of it. Uh, we'll share the blog post in the SoundCloud description uh, so you can learn a bit about the course. And then there are 10 videos up for free on YouTube for you. And uh, we're also going to have another video out soon 
uh, that, that I'm sure we'll mention here, which is five differences between cloud and server. So if you're looking for just a quick primer, there's a little bit of training in that, but it's just, I think, about four minutes long uh, and just cover some of those differences. Uh, we'll have that out sometime in the, the next couple of weeks. It's beautiful. I'm excited about it. I have seen it. I have seen it's it. Nice. And it is, it is spectacular. So yeah, when shout that, out to Dan Adams on that. Dan Adams, great good work. work. Um, so yeah, we we're engaging more and more with cloud uh, as a lot of other people are, but it is it is hard to keep up with. Um, so check out those videos on YouTube. Hopefully, you'd find them helpful as well. They are moving fast and breaking things. And speaking of radical redesign, over at the Atlassian Developer Blog. Atlassian has generously shared with us their UX scorecard for apps. And this is the suggestions that Atlassian gives to focus on and optimize your app with their best practices. Um, It comes with two scales, which is a system usability scale and the technical acceptance model. And it really gives developers a chance to look at how their app is functioning from a point of view that isn't the person who built it. Which, you know, and I, I was saying this before we started recording today, so much of what, what a program is, is communication. And if you can't effectively communicate with the tool to make it do what you want it to do, it's sort of pointless, right? So I think this is a tremendous resource. Brenda, you were mentioning that, that you get a lot of UX chat at home. Tell us a little bit I about do. it. I um, do. Well... As, as uh, our longtime listeners may be aware, my husband Ryan is a developer for a, a video game studio, and one of the areas that he is often tasked with is UX. Um, so he, he is not, that's not his sole job, but it's a lot of what he does. And it, so I hear a lot of him talking about what he does during his day of, you know, how do I make this easier for users? How do I, you know, help make this experience something they can navigate easily? Um, so I was really, really happy to see the scorecard come out because it, it makes you sit and think about how do people actually interact with this thing that I'm building? Um, you know, is it, is it easy to find? Is it easy to get into? Is it something that, um, you know, are, are interfaces intuitive, that sort of thing. And so I really like this because I've been working in tech in, in various roles for 15 years and it's so easy, you know, I'm just going to build this thing and get it out the door, build a thing, get it out the door. And you just, you just want to get functionality in there. And just, just with Jira, you know, if you're adminning workflows, it's, here, you go here to do a post function, but you go there to do a condition. And it just, it's like, this needs to be consistent. So thinking about that user experience is, is really, really important, especially as time goes on for your app. Um, so this is a really neat little article. Of course, like always, we'll be linking it in the SoundCloud description. Um, but it's definitely worth taking some time just to look over the scorecard that Atlassian has put out because uh, it's it's an important thing to think about, and it very often I think kind of gets shoved to the side. I think your your point, Brenda, to being able to step back and review this from the perspective of somebody who's not the app maker um, really highlights the importance of you know thinking through and reflecting on this, but also talking with prospective customers and. Uh, uh, I'm I'm looking at the scorecard, thinking like it might be a, a neat uh, conversation starter. Of, you know, when you have somebody walking through the interface and you're just watching them, and then you can use this scorecard to facilitate a conversation with them. You know, okay, you did find this, but you know, how happy were you with with how you found it? 
Um, you know, how would you, uh, you know, rate the installation process or, you know, try this and this, okay, it resulted in an error. Is that error helpful to you? You know, and thinking through the, all those aspects. That's a huge thing. I mean, I, there is no worse feeling than a pop-up that just goes error. Well, unknown error. Unknown error. Mean? I love that one. Uh, yes. But the more detailed your error text can be, the more helpful that is to a user. Um, and that that's true on just about anything. Um, so the fact that those types of questions are in this scorecard, just that's exactly what you need to be thinking about with user experience. Um, you know, instructional text, easy to follow. That's something that I'm really bad about. Oh, you know, I'll go back and write that stuff later. And well, <laughs> when is it later? Now. Now. So <laughs> now. <laughs> um, and, and that is something that, you know, I, I, I hear Ryan talk about with the games he's working on is we need to write this instructional text. We need to we need to work through how, how the user onboards to the game, which is much like any other app. You know, the first time someone opens this tool, what are they going to do? How are they going to interact with it? So these are, these are really good questions. And we here at Adaptivist have taken some of this to heart. You will start to see interface. You've already seen, if you've updated your Adaptivist apps, improvements to our UX. And uh, we are continuing to listen to customer feedback to make that so. So there are three areas of the UX scorecard that um, I think translate really well to our next our next uh, article. The first is discoverability, usability, and desirability, and that brings us to the six science-approved ways to improve your any workspace. Because if you can't find what you're looking for, use it and want to be there, you're not going to get a whole lot of work done. So I think this is a fantastic article on the Atlassian blog. Because right now, after the flurry of activity that, that I've had at my, in my role at Adaptivist, my desk is trashed, and I am feeling the pain. Considering that the two of you are always have perfectly meticulous workspaces, or battle stations, as, they, as it were, you mu- you're laughing see, at me, see, I Ryan, know. Ryan, you, you can't actually see my desk right now, can you? It, it only it's looks meticulous <laughs> because of what I allow you to see in the little box that is the Zoom window. Um, this, this article is really important when you're designing workspaces for groups. And one of the reasons that we had kind of wanted to talk about it was a lot of adaptivists work remotely. I, I am the only person in the state of Washington. Um, so I don't have an office to go to. So some of these are things that, um, you know, I'm already doing, um, one of, one of them was connect to nature, have an environment where you have natural scenery, greenery, and light. So my workspace is a spot in the house where I have big windows. I get a lot of natural light. You can't see it on the screen, but I have four or five African violets and some succulents and things that are right next to me that provide a little bit of greenery. Um, I'm in Seattle, the Seattle area, so winter has come and it is dark all the time. And so I've actually strung Christmas lights behind over over to my left just to add a little bit of light to what is a fairly dark corner. It, little things like that that just help me feel a little more connected to nature when nature is gray and raining all the time. Sounds like Matthew's ideal work location. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for for offices or for you know remote workers, it, it talks a little bit about promoting variety in your workspace. And so, um, you know, if you are in an office and you have an area where you have you know 
labs where you can get together and, and talk design or you have conference rooms or public and private spaces. I, I personally like private areas to try and focus on work. But there are times when I'd really like to have a more communal workspace as well. So there, there are days where I will pack my stuff up and I'll go just sit at a Starbucks to work because I need, sometimes you want a little bit of sound just in the background. Um, so when you're, when you're in an office area and you can have a, a nice community space like that, that, that works really well. Yeah, I think there are definitely, um, there are definitely positives for this article. I think notably the connection with nature. Um, there's been a lot of research on the effect of sunlight in the office. And in particular, it's something that uh, I studied um, when I was in, in school. I, I have a master's in project management. And one of the things that I focused on for my, my final sort of thesis paper uh, was team size and happiness and productivity. And so one of the things I researched was the effect of office environments. Uh, and it, particularly interesting is sunlight, sunlight can't be replicated uh, through any other natural means. So it's like the whole sunlight bulbs. And if we replace all of our, our, our light bulbs with these sunlight ones, um, the research has shown that doesn't really do the trick. Uh, and beyond emotional health, um, having natural, you know, our nature infused spaces, having sunlight and everything, there's, there are physical benefits as well. And they found correlations in terms of lowering uh, body mass, blood pressure, cholesterol, all these things that, you know, having a more natural workspace uh, improves. So very important. The downside that I, I think you kind of hit on a bit, Brenda, of this article, and you see this in Atlassian's office design. Uh, if any of you ever look at pictures online, or I've, I've been to their San Francisco office quite a bit, very wide open shared spaces, uh, not many private office offices, and it's hard to get conference room space. Uh, and there've been a lot of research over the last decade uh, around how beneficial it is for people to have private offices, uh, both for mental health and productivity. Um, so we had this big swing in the eighties and nineties towards these, these open floor plans that everybody's in, in cubicles where you can see and talk and you, you have shared workspaces. And in this article, even the, um, the header, the heading is promote focus with quote unquote me spaces. Me. So balancing these we spaces with me spaces and their example is this couch that's out in the middle of a room, you know, that's not a, a private work space that doesn't really let you focus. There's still tons of distractions. There's people who can walk up to you and break your flow. Uh, and so it, it's totally important to have communal spaces to share ideas and get brainstorming to have natural light and, and that openness. Uh, but we miss a tick and the research shows that having some private spaces is really beneficial too. You know, uh, I think maybe you, you might have seen this floating around online, uh, recently, but there was this, uh, high-end boutique blinders, basically, for people who work in shared office spaces. You know, nice slate gray, very luxurious. Like, wear, like, like what a horse wears? Yes, blinders? blinders. <laughs> With headphones built in, of course. Bluetooth. Nice. But, so I'll see if I can dig those up. It's, it's sort of like a, <laughs> when we've gone that far around that we have to turn to that solution – Maybe an office isn't the worst thing, but of course, you know. What a world we live in. What a world. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That is, isn't that the truth? Uh, but it is nice, especially for a remote worker, to bring a little bit of the spirit home, you know, a little bit of your in institutional spirit home. I do like to see some adaptivist swag on my desk along with my Darth Vader's. And... Um, and I do want to bring in a little bit more of the outside world. That would be, that would be choice. I need to get some sort of uh, skylight in this bad boy. 
when we were shopping for houses a couple of years ago, thinking about my home office was a big part of the decision-making um, because I, I wasn't real happy at, you know, with, with our previous setup. And so um, if you are a remote worker, I think thinking through that's important. If you are an office manager or working in an office, you know, finding ways to get that, uh, the benefits uh, are becoming more and more well-documented. Uh, and uh, we can really see some big improvements in productivity and in happiness. Happiness leads to better work attendance, you know, so it reduces absenteeism. Uh, it also reduces presenteeism. Presenteeism is what happens when other people are gone. The people who are there now have reduced productivity because they're having to cover for the people who are gone. Uh, and so it, it hits both sides of that equation. And so you, you've really got to think through this because there's some huge financial impacts of not taking these things into account. You know, the the comment that you had made about adaptivist swag, um, I have a, a little area where I have adaptivist and Atlassian stuff that I've picked up at Summit. I have a collection of hats. It's little mementos I've picked up on some of my on-site trips as an adaptivist. Um, and it's sort of a an adaptivist it's, shrine. It's not an adaptivist shrine. I didn't want to go that far, but it is a nice little reminder that, you know, I'm not alone all the time and that, you know, I have a lot of really cool opportunities to do cool things. Um, I also have my, um, my annual pass to Kennedy Space Center because I was in Florida for work. And of course you go to Kennedy Space Center and Why I was going to be there more than one day. And so you might as well get an annual pass because it pays for itself at two days. Um, so it, it's, it's just, you know, I, I, I like to have the cool things that I've collected from things that I've been able to do through this job. Um, just a nice little reminder of all the, the fun bits. You know what I've been hanging out with lately? This drone. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got this drone from an, an AUG. A vendor was giving out drones and, um, so that has really increased my productivity. Lol. I bet. Has it? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, guys, it's been a light week, but it's wonderful to see you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. We are going to take a little break from podcasting and be back the first week of December with an episode from our London conference, from our Adaptivist Winter Conference, where we will be doing an episode of the podcast live. But edited. In front of I a mean, studio actually, audience. In front of a captive audience. I mean, studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we hope that all of our American listeners have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And thank you for being here. As always, you will find links to all the articles we've discussed in our SoundCloud description. If you have a question, you want to be on the podcast, you just want to talk to us about stuff, email us at learn at adaptivist.com. So, for Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell, we'll see you in December on Adaptivist Live. Because I get amped, dog. I get pumped. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.